A good programmer friend of mine walked out on the job the other day, real frustrated and angry. I was able to catch him as he was hitting the door and had his box in his hands and uh, was red-faced and flustered. And I asked him, man, why are you quitting? And he just looked at me dead in the eyes and he says, because I didn't get a raise. A raise, guys. A raise. You ever wonder if I'm going to ever run out of these? Me too. Good morning and happy Wednesday to everybody listening out there in podcast land. I'm your host, Michael Feenan, and you are listening to Real Time Overview. Every week, we bring you the absolute best news and articles and posts in web development from all over the internet, or at least anywhere our Google Foo takes us, or our RSS feeds, or whatever happens to bring those articles to our door. We hope you enjoy what we've got selected for you this week, but before we get to the news... I do want to take a second and tell everybody that I will be up at the Web Accessibility Summit in Columbia, Missouri on May 30th. If you happen to be there or you're stopping through, be sure to stop by the event. Say hi. Let us know that you appreciate the podcast or that you enjoy what you're hearing. If not, well, then I guess you won't do that. And that's all right, too. But that's where I'll be. We'll be uh, interviewing a couple folks while we're there and and talking with some of the uh, folks that are going to be a lot of higher ed uh, schools and web developers that are going to be at the conference. So we're interested in talking to all of them and hearing what they have to say. And so we'll bring some of their commentary back to you. Let's get the week started, though, by looking at some JavaScript. After you've talked to enough developers, you'll learn that basically every programming language sucks for one reason or another. That in and of itself is not a particularly helpful piece of information, though. So take web development. When you get into building websites, you're virtually guaranteed that the first programming language that you're going to run into is JavaScript. And there are a lot of developers with strong opinions about it, many of them very negative. This is a long lead-up to send people over to Ash Furrow's blog, where he's put a piece together that makes the argument that JavaScript is actually good. I love this because it's exhausting watching developers syntax bash each other constantly. Many of the arguments against JavaScript are rooted in old ways of looking at the code, dismissing many of the newer tools and conventions that have been introduced to make it better. As someone that's still adapting to some of the new ways we use JavaScript myself, I absolutely agree. It's much harder than it used to be, but it's also much better. Also, if you're like me, check out Peter Jang's article too. It's really helpful at clearing things up. There'll be a link to that as well in the show notes. As Ash comments, JavaScript's tools have gotten much better and stronger, which is designed to help with some of the newfound difficulty. It's this point that really makes the argument for why JavaScript is actually good. It's evolving. It's improving. The semantics and conventions are changing and becoming more useful. That is the trademark of a successful language. It recognizes where it has shortcomings and it changes over time. This barely touches on the meat and potatoes of the article. Bottom line, JavaScript doesn't suck, and it's easy to make that case. You don't have to like it, but don't begrudge the people that do. Read the rest of the breakdown over at Ashfaro's blog. As we talk about WordPress 5.0 and Gutenberg, it's worth reflecting on the fact that WordPress is nearly 15 years old. 
The amount of conflict taking place about the upcoming changes is a reflection of just how big a role it now plays in the backbone of the internet. As a fun little break, run by 93Digital's website, they have a WordPress time machine that allows you to step back through the versions and see the dashboard pages of WordPress going all the way back to 2004 with version 1.0. There's no sharp takeaway or anything from sharing this. It's just a fun little interlude that I found interesting. For my part, I jumped in around version 1.5, give or take, and I'm consistently impressed with how far we've come while maintaining the heart of the WordPress project. Go check out the website, then stop by our comments and let us know how far back you remember. Speaking of WordPress, if you're in search of Gutenberg resources, it's worth running by CSS Tricks so you can check out the series Chris Coyer is putting together for developers. This looks like it will nicely supplement other resources like the Gutenberg.Courses program that we'll also share a link to in the show notes for the developers out there interested in jumpstarting their development on it. Chris has brought in Laura Shank and Andy Bell to run the series, which is slated to run through seven parts. The first three are already up and available as of this episode's airing, which cover a Gutenberg primer and an overview of the Create Gutenblock toolkit. Future parts are going to cover topics like React and custom webpacks. What Chris is putting out here has one specific advantage over the Gutenberg.Courses site, at least besides the fact that it's being put together by Chris Coyer, Laura Shank, and Andy Bell, and that's that the material is free, making it a great starting point for a lot of developers. A few weeks ago, we shared some of the results from Stack Overflow's annual developer survey. To complement that, I wanted to draw attention to Ashley Nolan's front-end tooling survey for 2018, whose results were recently released. This survey isn't quite as in-depth as Stack Overflow's, but that also allows it to be somewhat more specific across more than 5,000 submissions. By and large, questions focused specifically on CSS and JavaScript issues with some extras for task runners and tools and other concepts. A few of the meaty bits of information are over 50% of devs have between 2 and 10 years of experience, and over a quarter have a decade or more now. SAS is dominating the CSS preprocessor landscape, which probably doesn't surprise anybody. And interestingly, 44% of respondents said that they were using BEM, which to me sounds a little bit high at its face, but it's something that we'll be looking at more in depth in a future episode of the Drunken UX podcast. jQuery also still dominates the JavaScript library usage in 51% of projects, but that has slipped a huge 20% from last year. There's a total of 24 questions in the survey, and some of the results might surprise you. If nothing else, it might help you better identify the trends currently in play for front-end development and where you might want to focus your efforts in the future. Given a list of CSS selectors, how confidently do you think you could identify which ones would win out in a specificity contest? Do you really know how specificity weights are calculated? and how to get one selector to overrule another. A lot of the time, we increase specificity by doing something like adding an extra class to a selector. It works, but it's important to know why. Elink Design has an article that explains the system that determines how CSS specificity scores are generated and then compared. This is a simple process that many developers just take for granted. And if you've ever struggled with competing selectors, this can be a really helpful breakdown to understand why one selector behaves the way it does over another. Better still, it's a pretty fast read. 
So if you don't know, now you know. We close out the week talking about text. Over at the Webflow blog, Maria Driver has outlined seven upcoming trends in web design that the Webflow team is seeing. Typography and design is something that's always changing and in motion, like any kind of design. And while there certainly aren't only seven trends in play, these are still things to watch if you need design inspiration for yourself or a client. Whether that's bold word marks, the comings and goings of serif fonts, or an increased emphasis on well-placed highlights. How we treat text ultimately sends a signal to the user about how we treat our information. They've included some neat examples of the various trends that I'll let you go check out on your own. The important question that I'll ask that they also ended on is what types of trends are you seeing in typography as a design element? Let us know. Thanks for listening to Real Time Overview this week. I'm Michael Feenan. Stick around for the Drunken UX podcast. It'll have a new episode coming out this Monday. As always, we love to hear from our listeners. If you have any comments on today's articles, drop by our site at drunkenux.com and leave a comment on the show notes. If you have any stories or articles that you'd like to see featured on a future episode, fill out the contact form and be sure to let us know. If you want to connect with us, you can follow us on Twitter or Facebook at DrunkenUX. My challenge to you for the week, share this episode with one of your friends. Just hit the share button in your podcast app and let other people know that you're enjoying this segment. Until next time... Keep your personas close and your users closer.